Chapter 9 The Boy's Loaves in the Lord's Hands Jesus then took the loaves. John 6, 11. Look, there are the people, five thousand of them as hungry as hunters, and they all need to have food given to them, for they cannot any of them travel to buy it. And here is the provision, five thin wafers, and those of barley, more fit for horses than for men, and two little anchovies, by way of an appetizer. Five thousand people, and five little biscuits by which to feed them. The disproportion is enormous. If each one should have only the tiniest crumb, there would not be enough. In like manner, there are millions of people in London, and only a handful of whole-hearted Christians earnestly desiring to see the city converted to Christ. There are more than a thousand millions of men in this round world, and oh, so few missionaries breaking to them the bread of life, almost as few for the millions as were these five barley loaves for those five thousand. The problem is a very difficult one. The contrast between the supply and the demand would have struck us much more vividly if we had been there, in that crowd at Bethsaida, than it does sitting here nearly nineteen hundred years afterwards, and merely hearing about it. But the Lord Jesus was equal to the emergency. None of the people went away without sharing in His bounty. They were all filled. Our blessed Master, now that He has ascended into the heavens, has more power rather than less power. He is not baffled because of our lack, but can even now use inferior means to accomplish His own glorious purposes. Therefore, let no man's heart fail Him. Do not despair of the evangelization of London, nor think it hopeless that the gospel should be preached in all nations for a testimony unto them. Have faith in God, who is in Christ Jesus. Have faith in the compassion of the great Mediator. He will not desert the people in their spiritual need any more than He failed that hungry throng in their worldly need long ago. We will now look at these biscuits and sardines, which seem to be truly an insufficient stock in trade to begin with, a very small amount indeed on which to conduct the business of feeding five thousand persons. I shall say of these loaves and fish first that they had a previous history before being mentioned in our text. Secondly, when we get to our text, we shall find these little things in a very grand position. Jesus then took the loaves, and therefore, thirdly, they will have an after-history, which is well worthy of being noted. When things get into Christ's hands, they are in the very focus of miracles. We will begin by saying that these loaves and fish had a previous history. Andrew said to Jesus, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish. Notice first, then, the providence of God in bringing the lad there. We don't know his name. We're not told anything concerning his parentage. Was he a little peddler who thought that he could make some money by selling a few loaves and fish, and had he nearly sold out? Or was he a boy that the apostles had employed to carry this meager provision for the use of Jesus and his friends? We don't know much about him, but he was the right boy in the right place that day. Whatever his name might be, it didn't matter. He had the barley loaves and fish upon which the people were to be fed. Christ never is in need but that he has somebody at hand to supply that need. 
Have faith in the providence of God. What made the boy bring the loaves and fish, I do not know. Boys often do unaccountable things, but bring the loaves and fish he did, and God, who understands the ideas and motives of lads, and takes account even of barley loaves and fish, had appointed that boy to be there. Again I say, believe in the providence of God. Mr. Stanley tells us that when he came out of that long journey of his through the forest, I think after a hundred and sixty days of walking in darkness, and found himself at last where he could see the sun, he felt that there was a special providence of God that had taken care of him. I am very glad that Mr. Stanley felt that it was the hand of God that had brought him out of the unhealthy shade. But I don't need to go to Africa to learn that we are surrounded behind and before by His goodness. Many of us have felt a special providence of God in our own bedrooms. We have met with His hand in connection with our own children. Yes, every day we are surrounded by tokens of His care. Who is wise? Let him give heed to these things and consider the loving kindness of the Lord. I am sure God took care of me, said one, for as I was going along a certain street, I slipped on a piece of orange peel and had what might have been a serious fall. Yet I wasn't hurt in the least. To this his friend replied, I am sure God has taken care of me, for I have walked along that street hundreds of times, and have never slipped on a piece of orange peel or on anything else. Very often God draws near to us in common life. He comes to us all unaware and makes us own His loving care. Let us also believe in His providence with regard to the Church of Christ. He will never desert His people. He will find men when He wants them. Thus it has ever been in the history of the saints, and thus it shall ever be. Before the Reformation there were many learned men who knew something of Christ's gospel, but they said that it was a pity to make a noise, and so they communed with one another and with Christ very quietly. What was needed was some rough, bull-headed fellow who would blurt the gospel out and upset the old state of things. Where could he be found? There was a monk named Luther, who, while he was reading his Bible, suddenly stumbled on the doctrine of justification by faith. He was the man. Yet when he went to a dear brother in the Lord and told him how he felt, his friend said to him, Go back to your cell, and pray, and commune with God, and hold your tongue. But then, you see, he had a tongue that he could not hold, and that nobody else could hold and he began to speak with it the truth that had made a new man of him. The God that made Luther knew what he was at when he made him. He put within him a great burning fire that could not be restrained, and it burst forth and set the nations on a blaze. Never despair about providence. There sits today, somewhere in a chimney corner in the country, a man that will turn the current of unbelief, and win back the churches to the old gospel. God never yet did come to a point of distress as to his truth, but what suddenly one came forward, a David with a sling and a stone, or a Samson with a jawbone, or a Shamgar with an ox goad, who put to rout the adversaries of the Lord. There is a lad here. The providence of God had sent him. Next, this lad with his loaves was brought into notice. When they were searching for all the provisions in the company, 
This obscure boy, that never would have been heard of otherwise, was brought to the front because he had his little basket of biscuits. Andrew found him out, and he came and said to Jesus, There's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish. So rest assured that if you have the bread of life around you, and you are willing to serve God, you need not be afraid that obscurity will ever prevent your doing it. Nobody knows me, says one. Well, it's not a very desirable thing that anybody should know you. Those of us who are known to everybody would be very glad if we were not. There is no very great comfort in it. He that can work away for his master with nobody to see him but his master is the happiest of men. I have only one hundred people to preach to, said a country pastor to me, and I replied, If you give a good account of those hundred, you have quite enough to do. If all you have is very little, just that pennyworth of loaves and fish, use that properly and you will do your master service, and in due time, when God wants you, He knows where to find you. You need not put an advertisement in the paper. He knows the street you live on and the number on the door. You need not go and push yourself to the front. The Lord will bring you to the front when He wants you, and I hope that you don't want to get there if He doesn't want you to. Depend upon it, should you push forward when you are not required, He will put you back again. Oh, for grace to work on unobserved, to have your one talent, your five loaves and two fish, and only to be noticed when the hour suggests the need, and the need makes a loud call for you. We have thus seen, first of all, the loaves and fish, in the desert, quite unnoticed, but put there by providence and we now behold them, by that same providence, thrust into prominence. When brought into notice, the loaves and fish did not fare very well. They were judged insufficient for the purpose. For Andrew said, What are these for so many people? The boy's candle seemed to be quite snuffed out. So small a stock, what could be the use of that? Now, I dare say that some of you have had Satan saying to you, What's the use of your trying to do anything? To you, dear mother, with a family of children, he has whispered, You cannot serve God. He knows very well that by sustaining grace you can, and he's afraid of how well you can serve God if you bring up those dear children in reverence of him. He says to the seller of religious books over yonder, You've not much ability, what can you do? Ah, dear friend, he is afraid of what you can do, and if you will only do what you can do, God will, by and by, help you to do what now you cannot do. But the devil is afraid of even the little that you can do now, and many a child of God seems to side with Satan in despising the day of small things. What are these for so many people? So few, so poor, so devoid of talent, what can any of us hope to do? Scorned even by the disciples, it is small wonder if we are held in contempt by the world. The things that God will honor, man must first despise. You run the gauntlet of the derision of men, and afterwards you come out to be used of God. Though seemingly inadequate to feed the multitude, these loaves and fish would have been quite enough for the boy's supper. Yet, he appears to have been quite willing to part with them. The disciples would not have taken them from him by force. 
the master would not have allowed it. The lad willingly gave them up to be the beginning of the great feast. Somebody might have said, John, you know that you will soon be able to eat those five loaves and those two little fish. Keep them. Get away into a corner. Every man for himself. Is it not a good rule? Take care of number one? Yes, but the boy whom God uses will not be selfish. Am I speaking to some young Christian to whom Satan says, Make money first, and serve God by and by. Stick to business and get on. Then, after that, you can act like a Christian and give some money away. And so on. Let such a one remember the barley loaves and the fish. If that lad had really wisely studied his own interests, instead of merely yielding with a generous impulse to the demand of Christ, he would have done exactly what he did. For if he had kept the loaves, he would have eaten them, and there would have been an end of them. But now that he brings them to Christ, all those thousands of people are fed, and he gets as much himself as he would have had if he had eaten his own stock. And then, in addition, he gets a share out of the twelve baskets full of fragments that remain. Anything that you take away from self and give to Christ is well invested. It will often bring in ten thousand percent. The Lord knows how to give such a reward to an unselfish man, so that he will feel that he who saves his life loses it, but he who is willing even to lose his life and the bread that sustains it is the man who, after all, gets truly saved. This, then, is the history of these loaves. They were sent there through God's providence by a lad who was sought out and brought into notice. His stock in trade was despised, but he was willing to give it, whether it was despised or not. He would yield it to his Lord. Now, do you see what I'm driving at? I want to get a hold of some of the lads, and some young men and young women. I will not be troubled about your age. You shall be lads if you are under seventy. I want to get a hold of you who think that you have very little ability, and say to you, Come and bring it to Jesus. We want you. Times are hard. The people are famishing. Though nobody seems to need you, yet be bold to come out. And who knows but that, like Queen Esther, you may have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. God may have brought you where you are to make use of you for the converting of thousands. But you must be converted yourself first. Christ will not use you unless you are first his own. You must yield yourself up to him and be saved by his precious blood, and then, after that, come and yield up to him all the little talent that you may have, and pray him to make as much use of you as he did of the lad with the five barley loaves. But now I want to show you that these barley loaves got into a grand position. The text says, Jesus then took the loaves. He took them into his own hands. From the trembling hands of the boy, or from his little basket, they were transferred to the blessed hands which one day would bear the nail prints. This may teach us several lessons. First, they were now associated with Jesus Christ. From this point on, those loaves do not so much suggest the thought of the lad's sacrifice as of the Saviour's power. Is it not a wonderful thing that Christ, the living God, should associate Himself with our feebleness, with our lack of talent, with our ignorance, with our little faith? And yet He does so. If we are not associated with Him, we can do nothing. But when we come into living touch with Him, 
we can do all things. Those barley loaves in Christ's hands become pregnant with food for all the crowd. Out of His hands they are nothing but barley loaves, but in His hands, associated with Him, they are in contact with omnipotence. Have you who love the Lord Jesus Christ thought of this, of bringing all that you possess to Him so that it may be associated with Him? There is that brain of yours. It can be associated with the teachings of His Spirit. There is that heart of yours. It can be warmed with the love of God. There is that tongue of yours. It can be touched with the live coal from off the altar. There is that manhood of yours. It can be perfectly consecrated by association with Christ. Hear the tender command of the Lord. Bring them here to me, and your whole life will be transformed. I don't say that every man of common ability can rise to high ability by being associated with Christ through faith, but I do say this that his ordinary ability in association with Christ will become sufficient for the occasion to which God in providence has called him. I know that you've been praying and saying, I don't have this, and I cannot do that. Don't stop to number your deficiencies. Bring what you have and let all that you are, body, soul, and spirit, be associated with Christ. Although He will not bestow upon you new functions, the functions you have will have new power, for they will come into a new condition towards Him, and what may not be hoped for by association with such wisdom and might. But further, they were transferred to Christ. A moment ago they belonged to this lad, but now they belong to Christ. Jesus then took the loaves. He has taken possession of them. They are His property. O Christian people, do you mean what you say when you declare that you have given yourselves to Christ? If you have made a full transfer, therein will lie great power for usefulness. But don't people often say, If I might make some reserve? What then is this bleating of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? What about that odd thousand that you put in the funds the other day? What about the money saved up for a new bonnet? You sometimes sing, Yet if I might make some reserve, and duty did not call, I love my God with zeal so great that I should give him all. Ah, well, when you have really yielded all, you may sing that again, but I am afraid that there are but few who can sing it truly. Oh, that we had more real putting of the loaves into Christ's hands! The time that you have not used for self, but have given to Christ, the knowledge that you have not stored, as in a reservoir, but have given to Christ, the ability that you have not wielded for the world, but have yielded to Christ, your influence and position, your money and home, all put into Christ's hands, and reckoned to be not your own, but to be His from this point on. This is the way in which London's need will be met, and the world's hunger will be satisfied. But we are astonished at the very outset by the lack of this complete dedication of everything to Christ. What is better still, as these loaves were given to Jesus, so they were accepted by Jesus. They were not only dedicated, they were also consecrated. Jesus took the five barley loaves, Jesus took the two little fish, and in doing so, he seemed to say, These will do for me. As the American Standard Version has it, 
Jesus therefore took the loaves, emphasis added. Was there any reason why he should? Yes, because they were brought to him. They were willingly presented to him. There was a need of them, and he could work with them. Therefore, he took the loaves. Children of God, if Christ has ever made use of you, you have often stood and wondered how the Lord could ever accept you. But there was a therefore in it. He saw that you were willing to win souls. He saw that the souls needed winning, and he used you, even you. Am I not now speaking to some who might be of great service if they yielded themselves unto Christ, and Christ accepted them, and they became accepted in the Beloved? Only five barley loaves, but Jesus accepted them. Only two small fish, brought by a little lad, but the great Christ accepted them, and they became his own. Let us join one now in heaven who on earth brought her all, and pray, O use me, Lord, use even me, just as Thou wilt, and when, and where, until Thy blessed face I see, Thy rest, Thy joy, Thy glory share. But what is better still, these loaves and fish were blessed by Christ, as He lifted up His eyes and gave thanks to the Father for them. Think of it, for five little loaves and two little fish, Christ gave thanks to the Father apparently a meager cause for praise. But Jesus knew what He could make of them, and therefore He gave thanks for what they would presently accomplish. God loves us, says Augustine, for what we are becoming. Christ gave thanks for these trifles, because He saw to what end they would grow. Do you not think that having thanked the Father, He also thanked the boy? And in later years, these words of gratitude would be ample recompense, for such a tiny deed. Like the woman who cast in the two mites to the treasury, he gave his all, and doubtless was commended for the gift. Though high in glory today, Christ is still grateful when such offerings are made to him. Still he thanks his Father when, with timid, trembling hands, we offer to him our best, our all, however small. Still is his heart gladdened, when we bring him our meager store, that it may be touched by his dear hand and blessed by his gracious lips. He loves us not for what we are, but for what he will yet make us. He blesses our offerings not for their worth, but because his power will yet make them worthy of his praise. May the Lord thus bless every talent that you have. May he bless your memory. May he bless your understanding. May he bless your voices. May he bless your hearts. May he bless your heads. May He bless you all and evermore. When He puts a blessing into the little gift and into the little grace that we have, good work begins and goes on to perfection. And when the loaves had been blessed, the next thing was, they were increased by Christ. Peter takes one, begins to break it, and as he breaks it, he has always as much in his hand as he started with. Here, take a bit of fish, friend, says he. He gives a whole fish to that man. He has a whole fish left. So he gives it to another, and another, and another, and goes on scattering the bread and scattering the fish everywhere as quickly as he can. And when he's done, he has his hands just as full of fish and as full of bread as ever. If you serve God, you will never run dry.
He who gives you something to say one Sunday will give you something to say another Sunday. These seven and thirty years and more I have ministered to this same church and congregation, and every time that I have preached I have said all that I knew. Some very learned brethren are like the great barrel of Heidelberg. They can hold so much wine that there is enough to swim in, but they put in a tap somewhere at the top, and you never get much out. Mine is a very small barrel indeed, but the tap is down as low as it can be, and you can get more wine out of a small tub if you empty it than you can out of a big vat if you are only permitted to draw a little from the top. This boy gave all his loaves and all his fish, not much, truly, but Christ multiplied it. Be like him, give your all. Don't think of reserving some for another occasion. If you are a preacher, don't think of what you will preach about the next time, think of what you are going to preach about now. It is always quite enough to get one sermon at a time. You need not have a store, because if you get a lot piled away somewhere, there will be a stale odor about them. Even the manna that came down from heaven bred worms and stunk. So will your best sermons, even if the message is God given, and if it doesn't come down from heaven but from your own brain, it will go bad still more quickly. Tell the people about Christ. Lead them to Jesus, and don't be troubled about what you will say next time, but wait till next time comes, and it shall be given you in the same hour what you shall speak. But, mark once more, when Jesus took the loaves, it was not only to multiply, but also to distribute them. They were distributed by Christ. He didn't believe in multiplication unless it was accompanied by division. Christ's additions mean subtraction, and Christ's subtractions mean additions. He gives that we may give away. He multiplied as soon as the disciples began to distribute, and when the distribution ended, the multiplication ended. Oh, for grace to go on distributing! If you have received the truth from Christ, tell it out. God will whisper it in your ear and tell it in, but if you stop the telling out, if you cease the endeavor to bless others, it may be that God will no more bless you, nor grant you again the communion of His face. Putting all this together, if we all would bring our loaves and fish to the Lord Jesus Christ, He would take them and make them wholly His own. Then, when He would have blessed them, He would multiply them, and He would bid us to distribute them, and we could yet meet the needs of London and the needs of the whole world even to the last man. A Christ who could feed five thousand can feed five million. There's no limit. When once you get a miracle, you may as well have a great one. Whenever I find the critics paring down miracles, it always seems to me to be very poor work, for if it is a miracle, it is a miracle. And if you are in for a penny, you may as well be in for a pound. If you can believe that Christ can feed fifty, then you can believe that he can feed five hundred, five thousand, five million, or five hundred million, if it pleases him. Thus have I tried to stir up God's people to believe in the Lord and consecrate themselves to him. But some of you are saying, He's not preaching to me. No, I am not preaching to you. But I am preaching for you. For if God's people begin to be roused, they will soon look after you. You will have somebody asking you about your soul before you get out of the tabernacle, 
and during the week, if you meet some of them, they will be troubling you, rousing up your conscience, and making you feel what an awful thing it is to be an enemy to God, and to live without Christ. I hope that it will be so. Oh, you who do not love my Lord, what are you at? Paul said that you would be anathema maranatha, cursed at his coming. I pray you, do not rest easy while that may be your portion. You are the people that we want to feed. You are the people whom we want to bless. Oh, that God in His mercy would but bless you! We don't ask to have the honor of it. We would be willing to have it quite unknown who it was that brought you to the Savior, so long as you did but come to Him. May the Lord in mercy bring you. But now, thirdly, and to conclude, these loaves and fish had an after history. They got into Christ's hands. What was the result? First, a great deal of misery was removed by the lad's basketful of barley loaves. Those poor people were famished. They had been with Christ all day and had had nothing to eat. And had they been dispersed as they were, tired and hungry, many of them would have fainted by the way. Perhaps some would even have died. Oh, what would we give if we might but alleviate the misery of this world? I remember the Earl of Shaftesbury saying, I should like to live longer. I cannot bear to go out of the world while there is so much misery in it. And you know how that dear saint of God laid himself out to look after the poor and the helpless and the needy all his days. Perhaps I speak to some who have not woken up yet to the idea that if they were to bring their little all to Christ, he could make use of it in alleviating the misery of many a wounded conscience and that awful misery which will come upon men if they die unforgiven and stand before the judgment bar of God without a Savior. Yes, young man, God can make you the spiritual father of many. As I look back upon my own history, little did I dream when first I opened my mouth for Christ in a very humble way that I should have the honor of bringing thousands to Jesus. Blessed, blessed be His name. He gets the glory for it. But I cannot help thinking that there must be some other lad here, such a one as I was, whom he may call by his grace to do service for him. When I had a letter sent to me by the deacons of the church at New Park Street to come up to London to preach, I sent it back by the next post, telling them that they had made a mistake, that I was a lad of nineteen years of age, happy among a very poor and lowly people in Cambridgeshire who loved me and that I didn't imagine that they could mean that I was to preach in London. But they returned it to me, and said that they knew all about it, and I must come. Ah, what a story it has been since then, of the goodness and loving kindness of the Lord! Now perhaps these words come to some brother who has never yet laid hold of the idea that God can use him. You mustn't think that God picks out all the very choice and particularly fine persons, it's not so in the Bible. Some of those that he took were very rough people. Even the first apostles were mostly fishermen. Paul was an educated man, but he was like a lot out of the catalogue, one born out of due time. The rest of them were not so, but God used them, and it still pleases God by the base things and the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are. I don't want you to think highly of yourself. Your loaves are only five, and they are barley, and poor barley at that, and your fish are very small, 
and there are only two of them. I don't want you to think much of them, but think much of Christ, and believe that, whoever you may be, if He thought it worth His while to buy you with His blood, and is willing to make some use of you, it is surely worth your while to come and bring yourself and all that you have, to Him who is thus graciously ready to accept you. Put everything into His hands, and let it be said of you today, Jesus then took the loaves. It is a part of the history of the loaves that they assuaged a great mass of misery. And next, Jesus was glorified, for the people said, This is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. The miracle of the loaves carried them back to the wilderness and to the miracle of the manna. They remembered that Moses had said, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. For this deliverer they longed, and as the bread increased, so grew their wonder, until in the swelling loaves they saw the finger of God, and said, This is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. That little lad became, by his loaves and fish, the revealer of Christ to all the multitude. And who can tell, if you give your loaves to Christ, whether thousands may not recognize Him as the Savior because of it? Christ is still known in the breaking of bread. But the people went further with reference to Christ after they had been fed by the loaves and fish. They concluded that He was a prophet, and they began whispering among themselves, Let us make Him a king. Now, in a better sense than the text implies, I wish to God that you and I, though humbly and feebly, might serve Christ, till people said, Christ is a prophet, let us make him a king. This sermon I offer my master, if he will be pleased to accept it, though it is but a barley loaf, and I pray that by it some may take Jesus Christ to be their king. Oh, that he had a throne in the hearts of many whom he shall feed at this time with the bread of heaven. Brethren, I know that you wish to glorify Christ. Here is the way. Bring your loaves and fish to Christ, so that He may use them in His divine commissariat, and then He shall be magnified in the eyes of all the people. When the feast was finished, there were fragments to be gathered. This is a part of the history of the loaves. They were not lost. They were eaten, but they were there. People were filled with them, but yet there was more of them left than when the feast began. Each disciple had a basketful to carry back to his master's feet. Give yourself to Christ, and when you have used yourself for His glory, you will be more able to serve Him than you are now. You shall find your little stock grow as you spend it. Remember Bunyan's picture of the man who had a roll of cloth. He unrolled it, and he cut off so much for the poor. Then he unrolled it, and cut off some more. And the more he cut it, the longer it grew. Upon which Bunyan remarks, There was a man, and some did count him mad. The more he gave away, the more he had. It is certainly so with talent and ability, and with grace in the heart. The more you use it, the more there is of it. It is often so with gold and silver. The store of the liberal man increases, while the miser grows poor. We have an old proverb which is as true as it is suggestive Drawn wells have the sweetest waters. So, If you keep continually drawing on your mind, your thoughts will get sweeter, and if you continue to draw on your strength, your strength will get to be more mighty through God. The more you do, 
the more you may do by the grace of the ever-blessed One. Last of all, it came to pass that these loaves had a record made about them. There is many a loaf that has gone to a king's table and yet has never been chronicled, but this boy's five loaves and two little fish have gotten into the Bible. If you look, you will find the barley loaves in Matthew, you will find the barley loaves in Mark, you will find the barley loaves in Luke, you will find the barley loaves where we have found our text in John. To make quite sure that we should never forget how much God can do with little things, this story is told four times over, and it's the only one of Christ's miracles which has such an abundant record. And now, as a practical issue, let us put it to the test. You young people who have lately joined the church, don't let it be long before you try to do something for Christ. You who have for a long time been trusting Christ and have never yet begun to work, arouse yourselves to attempt some service for His sake. Aged friends and sick friends can still find something to do. Perhaps at the last it will be found that the persons whom we might have excused on account of illness or weakness or poverty are the people who have done the most. That at least is my observation. I find that if there is a really good work done, it is usually done by an invalid or by somebody who might very properly have said, I pray you have me excused. How is it that so many able-bodied and gifted Christians seem to be so slow in the Master's service? If there is a political meeting, something about liberals and conservatives, how earnest you are! You are all there, every bit of you, over your politics, which are not worth a penny a year. But when it comes to souls being saved, many of you are as mute as fish. You go all the year round without caring even for the spiritual welfare of a little child. One of our friends gave a good answer to a brother who said to him, I have been a member of a church now for forty years. I am a father in Israel. He asked him, How many children have you? How many have you brought to Christ? Well, the man said, I don't know that I ever brought anybody to Christ. Upon which our friend retorted, Call yourself a father in Israel, and yet you have no children? I think you had better wait until you have earned the title. So do I. It would be better that we had no persons who profess such, but that all our members, even if there were fewer of them, should be men and women constantly bringing forth fruit unto God in the conversion of others. The Lord set you all to work with this object. I am almost done. But again, I cannot help reminding those who are not Christ's that while I have not directly preached to them, I have tried by a side wind to be preaching to them all the time. Either you are the Lord's or you are not. If you are Christ's servant, take a sheet of paper and write down, Lord, I bring my loaves and fish to you. And if you are not Christ's, confess the awful truth to yourself and face it. I wish that you would make a record of it in black and white, putting down both name and date. I am not Christ's. Take a good look at it. Try and grasp what it means to withhold yourself from Him who loves you and waits to save. Then ask yourself why you are not His. I remember a woman not long ago who said that at her work it came across her mind, I am not saved. She was sweeping the room, and when she finished that, she said to herself, 
I have to cook the dinner, but I'm not saved. She went into the kitchen and had her fire all ready and her food. But while she was putting things in the pot, she kept saying to herself, I'm not saved. And so it was while she was busy all the afternoon. When her husband came home, she couldn't help blurting it out to him. Oh, husband, I'm not saved. But he was, and he pointed her to Christ. They knelt together, and oh, how he prayed with her. She found that which she so earnestly sought, and it was not very many days before she could say, Oh, husband, I am saved. May that be the case with you. The Lord bless every one of you, wherever you may be. We shall all meet in the day of judgment. May you and I meet without fear there, to sing to the sovereign grace of God which saved us from the wrath to come, and helped us while we were here to bring our little and put it into Christ's hands. The Lord be with you. Amen.